Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Chloe. Good morning, everyone. Um, can I extend the welcome that's already been offered to you this morning? Church family, welcome. If you're new here, if it's your first time or second time, whatever, uh, if you don't call this place home, we also want to welcome you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Thomas. I'm one of the elders here in Village. Um, and I have the utmost, utmost joy of not only preaching, um, but preaching the Sunday after Easter. Um, so I feel like I've been given a slightly easier task than normal. It's also the Sunday after we saw eight people got baptized, so I've been given like a real cushy kind of slot here. Um, I also have the delight of bringing us back into a sermon series that we've not been in for a while, like picking up an old book you love. Um, I get to reintroduce us to Luke's account of the teachings, the works, and the person of Jesus. Uh, Ezra Nehemiah was good. It was really good in an anticlimactic, I know this is really important, reading like full chapters on a Sunday morning kind of good. It was. All scripture is God-breathed, yes? Yes. Um, but today we get to read four verses. We just get to spend time in four verses. It's always good, always good to come back to the accounts of what Jesus said, of what Jesus did, whenever he walked as one of us, among us, loving us. But it has been a while since we've been there, so I think we need to do a quick recap. Up until this point, Luke has been focusing on the teachings of Jesus. So for the past several chapters, Luke has been highlighting what Jesus has been saying. But now the focus begins to shift away from the teachings and the words of Jesus to on the actions of Jesus. And in this passage that Chloe just read, and in the passages that follow, we get a pretty clear picture given to us of the power of Jesus. And the focus of this passage and the rest of chapter 8 is on the power that Jesus has over all things. Luke leaves us in no doubt that Jesus has power over everything. In the handful of times I get to preach, um, I think I've used this quote almost every time, but it feels relevant here. Uh, Abraham Kuyper is known to have said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of, human, of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. So as we get into this text this morning, I want us to keep this in mind, the power of Jesus over all things. So keep that in mind as we go forward. Let me pray for us before we go any further. Gracious Lord, we come to you this morning um, seeking to, to, to understand more of you, more of who you are, more of what you've done. So Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts and uh, 
Prepare us um, for your word to, to permeate our lives. And help us to apply this word as well, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever noticed the significant role that questions play in TV, in literature, in movies? In fact, sometimes questions as quotes can become so famous that you can identify the entire work, the entire movie, book, show, whatever, just by that one question. And I thought, just to make sure that you're tuned in, um, we can maybe, like, I maybe throw a few out just to see how awake you are. So, um, first, what is in a name? Who can tell me what that's from? Bingo. Well done, Richard. Richard gets a gold star. Okay. Are you talking to me? Did anyone say taxi driver? No? Uh, minus points. What about why so serious? What was that? Batman, yes, the Dark Knight. Maybe a little bit older, what do you want? Do you want the moon? It's a wonderful life, yes, well done. Finally, a bit of a weird one, a bit of a curve, but what is the meaning of life, the universe, and everything? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, do you know the answer? 42, 42 is the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. That is not the topic of today's sermon, that is for another time. Um, maybe some other questions come to mind, but we'll leave them there, just getting our minds warmed up. The point is that questions are really important. And in fact, asking the right questions is really important. At some point, all of us ask ourselves what we truly value in life. Is this the career path I want to follow? Is this the person I really want to spend the rest of my life with? Is this the part of the world I want to live in? Is this the church family that I want to commit to? These are important questions, but they aren't as important as the two questions that are asked in this passage today. One is asked by Jesus, and the other is asked by the disciples. Question one, where is your faith? Question two, who then is this man? Where is your faith, and who then is this man? These two questions, and particularly the second one, are the, some of the most, two most important questions that any of us can ask. You see, what we think about Jesus matters a lot. A.W. Tozer said, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. And if that's true, then we have to ask the right questions. When we look at this passage and we wrestle with these questions, here's what we see, that Jesus is Lord of all, so we must put our faith in him. Jesus is Lord of all, so we must put our faith in him. This is the thesis of today's sermon. If you remember nothing else, take away the simple lesson. Jesus is Lord of all, so we can and we must put our faith in him. Okay, so into the passage this morning. So Luke tells us that one day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee and they're going to the other side of the lake. Uh, when Mark records this same story in his account, he tells us that this happens at the end of the day, a busy day of preaching, of being with people. And so Jesus, going to the other side of the lake, um, he goes to the other side of the lake to get some rest. He needs time to recover. People are tiring sometimes. I love this story for so many reasons. It's only, as we said, it's only four verses, but in these short verses, so much is captured within it. We're going to talk about the awesome power of Jesus, but we're going to see, I think already we see the humanity of Jesus. 
Can you imagine the scenario? It's at the end of a long day of ministry. Jesus has been giving of himself all day. He's been confronted a time or two by his enemies. And so as the shadows lengthen and the sun begins to go down, Jesus goes to the back of the boat and he lies down on a narrow wooden bench. As the boat gently rocks and the water laps against the hull, it's not long before he's fast asleep. And here we have one of the most relatable pictures of the incarnation, the humanness of Jesus. In a, minute, in a minute, he's going to rebuke and calm a storm with all of the power of heaven, but for now, he's asleep in a weary human body. Jesus is fully human, and in this moment, he does the most human thing in the world. He falls asleep. And we know he must have been totally knackered because it's not like he was in a super yacht, like these boats aren't made for comfort. He's probably sleeping on hard wooden boards, but he's so tired that it just doesn't matter. And all of a sudden, this peaceful calm is disturbed with a terrifying onslaught of stormy weather. Verse 23 tells us that a windstorm came down on the lake, literally translates as a hurricane of wind. According to experts, it's, it's not uncommon for this kind of violent storm to appear out of nowhere on the Sea of Galilee. Winds coming off the Mediterranean are funneled down through the mountains on the edge of the lake where they drop in temperature and pick up speed. And before you know it, the whole lake can be in turmoil. So the disciples find themselves in the middle of this lake in a hurricane in a small boat that's filling with water and they're convinced they're going to die. But in their terror and misery, the disciples had no idea that this storm was divinely appointed. God had sent this storm into their lives to teach them an incredible lesson about who Jesus is. And there's a biblical principle at work here. Storms are God's way of bringing us into deeper grace. Storms are God's way of bringing us into deeper grace. You see, without difficulties, without trials, we'd never learn who Jesus really is. We wouldn't have the opportunity to grow in our faith. God sends difficulties and suffering and trial in, trials into our lives so that we grow in our understanding of his power, of his goodness, of his faithfulness. And if you are in Jesus and the storms in your life are divinely appointed so that God can show you more of his incredible love for you. I know a few of you and some of the things that you're going through, and it's not easy to say sometimes, maybe it's not easy to hear that maybe that God sends storms our way, but if you're going through difficulty like illness or grief or loneliness or whatever, God is at work. And the gospel principle is this, remember that it's through suffering that we became Christians in the first place. Jesus went through suffering so that we could know God's. That's what, that's what the baptisms that we saw last week represent. We saw eight people baptized into the waters and then raised out of them. And that was an amazing representation. We, uh, a representation that we've enjoined with Christ as he has gone through God's judgment and come out the other side to live a glorious new life in him. Storms are God's way of bringing us into deeper grace. But as is, so, as is so natural when we're in the middle of the storm, the disciples cannot see 
how this storm is divinely appointed. All they can see is the boat is filling with water and that they're going to drown. And Jesus is still asleep. For now, maybe you're thinking, how can he sleep during a storm? I don't know. People can be really tiring. Um, that would put me to sleep in a storm sometimes. Um, but we've already established that he is exhausted. I think there's another element to this. Could it be that Jesus is sleeping in the storm because he is completely trusting in God the Father? Jesus trusts that God's salvation plans won't be ruined by a storm. Jesus is resting in the will of the Father so even that storm can't wake him up. But to the disciples, it looks like Jesus has fallen asleep at the wheel. It looks like he's taking his eye off the ball here. So, but they've already, they've already seen Jesus do incredible things they're starting to believe that maybe this man is the Messiah, but in this moment, they're filled with doubt. And isn't this just what we do when the storms come into our lives? We think that Jesus is sleeping. We think that he's forgotten about us, or that he's too tired, or he's too busy, or that he just doesn't care. Maybe you're in the middle of a storm right now and the water is coming in over the sides and you're pretty sure that it's a matter of time before you drown. So my first question for us this morning is where is Jesus? In this story right now, where is Jesus? Well, it's pretty clear from the text. He is in the storm with them. Jesus isn't offshore. He hasn't like teleported to the other side of the lake. He's in the boat. He is in the same danger with them. Jesus voluntarily put himself in the boat with his disciples during the storm. By lowering himself, God the Son came to earth, took on humanity, and put himself in a boat in the middle of the storm with you. He took on flesh to join us in the boat of human existence. And even when it seems that God has forgotten about you, that he's too tired about you, too tired or that he's too busy, all you have to do is turn around and find that Jesus is with us in the middle of the storm. When God sends storms into the lives of his children, he doesn't expect us to sail through them alone. In fact, we're never alone the last words that Jesus gave to his followers before he ascended to heaven recounted in Matthew 28, where I am with you always to the end of the world. So in every situation, no matter how desperate it feels, you're not alone. I want you to hear this and really take it in this morning that you are not God forsaken. God has not abandoned you. He does not abandon those he has ransomed. Jesus uh, has not forgotten about you. Just turn around and find him right there with you in the boat in the middle of the storm. Jesus is Lord of all, so we can put our faith in him. Now, as much as this storm was necessary for the disciples to grow in their faith, so was the calm that Jesus was about to bring. The disciples were in danger, a real danger, at least from their perspective, um, they, and they realize their danger. And when they do, we, we should do what they do. And in their, in their moment of panic, in their moment of distress, what do they do? They go to Jesus. 
This is how anyone who comes, this is how anyone who comes to faith in Christ comes to faith. We, we heard this last week whenever, uh, whenever Andrew shared some of his testimony um, before he got baptized. Andrew and every single one of you in this room who professes to be a Christian at some point recognized that you were in danger, that there was nothing you could do to save yourselves, and so you turned to Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, this is the invitation for you. But it wasn't just a one-time thing, turning to Jesus. This is something we do again and again. So as Christians, when storms come, in times of danger, we turn to Jesus for help and salvation. The boat is filling with water. The disciples think that they're going to drown, and they do what the storm didn't do. They wake Jesus up. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't the storm that woke Jesus, it was his disciples. Maybe more specifically, it was their fear. It was their unbelief. You see, even though Jesus is with us in the boat in the middle of the storm, he is not disturbed by the waves crashing over the top. Jesus responds, not to the danger, but to his disciples coming to him for help, for rescue. And what does he do? He removes the danger and he replaces it with calm. Look at verse 24. It tells us that he awoke and rebuked the wind and raging waves and they ceased. And there was a calm. In Mark's account, we're told that Jesus, Jesus literally tells the storm to be quiet. I feel like if the writers of scripture were from Northern Ireland, the word would be wished. And if you ever get told that by your parents whenever you're younger, we st- just one word to be quiet. And when Jesus does rebuke the storm, the thing is, he's not scolding. He's not telling it off in the way that we might think of rebuking. He's simply, by the power of his word, putting it in its place. The same language is actually used in chapter four when Jesus rebukes an unclean spirit and rebukes the fever in Peter's mother-in-law. And so it seems that anything natural or supernatural that is against God's image, God's image bearers is a candidate for being rebuked by Jesus. When Jesus sees threats coming against the people he loves, he responds in rebuke. You see, everything is subject to the power and authority of Jesus. Even the wind and waves have to obey him. And when Jesus tells the storm to stop, it stops. He's not performing a magical incantation. It's, it's, this isn't an epic battle between good and evil. This isn't like Gandalf standing, like fighting the demon and like on the bridge saying, you shall not pass. It's just Jesus simply speaking and the storm simply obeying. The power over nature that Jesus has, he simply and calmly speaks, and nature obeys. And immediately there's calm. And this is where we get the first question that we mentioned earlier. As soon as he has calmed the storm, Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks them, Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Now, at first glance, this might seem a bit harsh. I mean, the danger was real, after all. The disciples weren't wrong to recognize that a dangerous storm could potentially kill them. The reality was the boat was filling with water. 
The disciples' problem, their mistake, was to think that Jesus wouldn't care for them. Danger is danger, but they didn't think that Jesus would see them through it. You see, we have to remember that these men had already seen his awesome power and authority at work. They had been present for the miraculous catch of fish. They were there when Jesus rescued the widow's son from death. They had listened to conversations between Jesus and John's messengers, and they had heard that he was, they had heard that he was the chosen one of God. And they'd seen this backed up by many miracles. They'd seen all of this, they had heard all of this, and they still doubted that God would save them. There's nothing wrong with being afraid of real danger. But knowing what they knew of God, they should have known that God's plan of salvation wasn't about to end with a storm in a lake. So Jesus rightly asks them, where is your faith? It's like he's saying to them, why, why are you despairing? Don't you know who I am? Haven't you seen what, we, what, what I've done? And if Jesus can ask that of his disciples in this text, how much more can he ask the same questions of us? These disciples haven't even seen Jesus raised from the dead yet, but we have. The Jesus we know walked out of his grave and ascended to heaven, and we still doubt him, don't we? I do this all the time. As soon as things start to go wrong, as soon as any hint of hardship comes along, the temptation to say, the temptation is to say, where are you, God? And we forget that Jesus is in control, that he's in the storm with us, that he has ultimate power over the worst storms that we can ever face. Maybe this morning we need to allow Jesus to ask us again, where is your faith? You see, the lesson to learn in here, church, is that the solution to fear is not courage, it's faith. The solution to fear is not courage, it's faith. Jesus didn't wake up and see the storm and give them a motivational speech. Take courage, lads, it's all good, we're gonna get through this. He didn't give them like a top 10 tips for getting through a storm. In the middle of the storm, Jesus displays his power and authority so that the disciples will grow in their faith. The solution to fear is not courage, it's faith. And when our faith is rightly placed in the one who is above all and over all and never leaves us, then we have no reason to fear. So when you're going through something hard, something so hard, something catastrophic that makes it feel like the, like the bottom of your life has just collapsed from beneath you, you can put your faith in Jesus and know that he is the one who has the power to speak to the storm and make it stop instantly. God's plans can't be ruined by a storm in a lake. The solution to fear is not courage, it's faith. So where is your faith? Now please, please don't hear me minimizing the storm you're in. Having faith does not mean no more suffering. We all know this to be true. Having faith doesn't mean that our earthly bodies will not experience pain and death. Remember, God still allowed his disciples to go through the storm with Jesus. We aren't promised a life free from suffering. That's not what the story is telling us. 
That's not what the rest of Scripture tells us. Psalm 23 doesn't say, if we walk through the valley of shadow of death. It says, when we walk through the valley of shadow of death. We're reminded that God is with us then. Likewise, in Psalm 56, it says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Not if I'm afraid. We will face plenty of things that make us afraid. But when we are afraid, we need to ask, where is my faith? When we're afraid, we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. So the story is not telling us that we, won't ever have, that we won't ever have storms in our lives, but it does demonstrate that Jesus is Lord over all natural forces in the world, that nothing happens by accident, that no force in all creation can destroy his plans for our eternal salvation or separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen to the words from Romans 8, from verse 31. I think I have this one, yeah. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He goes on in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or swords? He goes on in, to verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a good verse to commit to memory, by the way. Listen, if, if God is for us, and if you're a Christian, God is for you, fully, finally, eternally, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son. You want to know how much God is for you? He sacrificed his own son to save you. That's the length. That's, the, that's how much he is for you. So what can separate us from his love? The answer is nothing, no storm. Even when the waves are crashing over the side of the boat and it feels like you're about to drown, nothing can separate you from his love. Church, God is for you. Jesus has saved you, so ultimately no eternal harm can come to you. But we're not preaching a prosperity gospel. Life will not always be easy. In fact, you're promised that as, as, as you follow Jesus, you will have trouble. But Jesus has authority over the worst storms in your life, and he is in the storm with you, and nothing can ever ruin his plans to bring you fully and completely into his presence. So let's hear Jesus asking gently this morning, where is your faith? Put your faith in him, because he is Lord over every storm. So then, it's the disciples' turn to ask a question. And the question they ask, we mentioned before, who then is this? Let's look at verse 25 and see what happens. And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? That he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. I wonder what you might expect the disciples' reaction to be after what just happened. I can't help but think that if I was in that same position, 
that my reaction to not dying in a storm would be comparable to Northern Ireland winning the World Cup. Probably a lot of like singing and dancing and hugging people that I'm not dead. Um, and I kind of thought maybe the disciples here would have a similar reaction, but that's not the case. You, you, maybe, you maybe would expect them to be thanking Jesus and rejoicing that they were saved, but the reaction was different. Instead, they were afraid, and they marveled, and they asked who Jesus is. I think suddenly they became so aware that they were, in the presence of, they were in the presence of something that was much more terrifying than the violence of a storm. They were starting to look at Jesus in a way that they hadn't looked at him before. And they were saying to themselves, who is this man? What kind of person is this? This man is in a class of his own. There's no one else like this. No human being had ever spoken to the wind and made it behave or calmed a stormy, a stormy sea just by the power of his voice. And the disciples have just received their biggest lesson so far about who Jesus really is. They find themselves in the presence of the holy. They were in the presence of one who's literally not like anyone else. Jesus is other, he is different, he is higher. See, what Jesus has done is just demonstrated that he is God. We have to remember that the disciples knew their scripture. They knew their Old Testament um, texts. They, they knew the Psalms that taught that God rules the seas. Like Psalm 107. Do I have this one? Psalm 107 from verse 24. Yeah. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. There's more Psalms that speak to this. Psalm 65, 7 talks about God being the one who stills the roaring of the seas. Psalm 89, 9 says that God rules the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. The disciples knew these scriptures and suddenly they realized that if God is the one that commands the seas and if Jesus has just commanded the sea, then Jesus must be God. There's no other explanation to what's going on here. Jesus is God. With a simple word, Jesus calms the sea because he's the creator and sustainer of the universe. Later on in scripture, in Colossians, from chapter one, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things are created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This storm is held together in Jesus. Jesus existed before that storm. It was created through him. So of course he has power over it. 
And of course, the the disciples are filled with fear and wonder because fear and wonder is the only response when standing face to face with the creator God. Yes, the disciples were filled with holy fear and wonder, and they should have been because Jesus is is God Almighty in human flesh, the Holy One of Israel, the one from whom even the demons of hell run away in terror. In this moment, the disciples asked the right question, who is this man? This is the right question for us to ask too. This is the question we all must ask ourselves. We all must reckon within ourselves, who is Jesus? Is he just another important historic figure? Is he just a good teacher who has some interesting, compelling things to say? Or is he more than this? Is he who he says he is? Is he who scripture says he is? There is only one who can control the wind and the waves of the sea. And we are to recognize that this man, Jesus, is Almighty God. Who can control the wind and the waves of the sea? God can. And here in Jesus, we have God as in human flesh. So what is your answer to this question? When we see Jesus for who he is, how do we respond? When we see Jesus, do we respond with fear and wonder? Do we worship him as God of the universe? Here's the amazing thing that I want to finish with. Jesus calmed the sea for the 12 disciples with the sound of his voice. But he has done far, far more than that for us. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he took on the storm of God's wrath on our behalf. And the ultimate display of his power over nature is in his resurrection from the dead. You see, the cross is the ultimate display that God is with us in every storm. And the resurrection is the ultimate display that he has power over every force that comes against us. So whatever storm of life you're going through, when the waves are crashing over the side of the boat and you're certain you're about to drown, you're about to drown, what do we do? We look to the cross. We look to the cross and see that Jesus is in the storm with us and he has conquered the storm in his resurrection. There's now nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can ruin his salvation plans. God will bring us through every storm. So we look to the cross and we ask ourselves, who is this man? And we realize that he is not, that he is almighty God and that, that there is not anything There's nothing that uh, that he will never abandon his children. There's nothing that's not under his power. Jesus is Lord of all. So if we are to be saved eternally, we must put our faith in him. Come Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Would you you stand as uh, we get ready to take communion? Uh, Heavenly Father, we come to you again this morning now with your word fresh in our minds. Lord, we thank you for this story that shows so much uh, of, of who Jesus is. Lord, we catch a glimpse of his true power. 
and we're confronted with questions. So Father, as we look at these questions, we pray for your spirit to help us. As we look at Jesus, help us to see the risen Savior who is Lord of all things and someone that we can put all of our trust in. Father, as we consider the question, where is our faith, Lord, there's so many times when I know my faith has been not looking at the cross, whenever I have trusted, tried to trust other things, and Lord, time and again, they have failed. Lord, it's only you who are steadfast. Father, forgive us for the times that we try to put our faith in other things. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Be with us, Lord. Amen.